You are listening to The Dr. Kinney Show, and I'm your host, Erin Kinney, a naturopathic doctor and speaker who's passionate about teaching you how to understand what is happening in your body, why your body is reacting the way it is, and how to make the appropriate changes in your life to get your body back into balance. Something I've learned from my private practice is that the more patients know about their health, the more likely they are to make better diet and lifestyle choices, which ultimately leads them to a faster recovery. Each week, you are going to learn actionable tips, tricks, and teachings from myself, along with the help of top experts in the holistic health community, so that you can make better informed decisions about your body and your healthcare. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Kinney Show. This week, I'm super pleased to have joining me Christine Garvin, who is a functional nutritionist. And we're going to have a chat about fibroids, which I think is going to be a great episode. Christine, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to have you on the show. We chatted on her podcast a couple, was it a couple months ago? Yeah. We had a great episode and it was super fun. So it's so awesome to be talking to you again. I know. Why don't we start? Can you share with my listeners your journey into functional nutritionist? I love, or nutrition. I love this. I love everyone's stories. Yes, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to see you again too. So basically there's sort of the long journey and then there's the kind of more immediate short journey. So I'll just give a little background of, you know, in basically when I graduated from undergrad, I always tell people it was like my stomach fell out. Right. And I had no idea at the time what that was all about, but it sent me on a journey to basically determining, figuring out that I had three rounds of antibiotics in college for strep throat. And there was no talk about beneficial bacteria back then to come back at that. And then basically the stress of graduating from college and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life was like the perfect storm, right? So of course, just going to a regular doctor, they were like, oh, you have IBS, you know, the the blanket (laughs) umbrella situation that they do. And it was interesting because I ended up, so I went to school in Chapel Hill, but I ended up moving to California, San Francisco Bay Area, right? Pretty much three months after college. And that really put me on this new path. I just, right off the bat, I was like, yeah, I don't want to just accept this IBS you know, thing that label that they've put on me. And so that began my first journey of learning so much about gut health and learning, you know, what was all involved and and what really happened to my gut in the process of all those antibiotics. And so that led me to end up doing my master's in holistic health education in my mid twenties after thinking I would never go back to school and then also doing a nutrition education program separately. So I'd say it took me probably mm, eight to 10 years to really heal my gut because you learn all of the things, all the layers, right? It's not just about what you eat. It's not just about sealing and healing the gut lining, et cetera, et cetera. It's like all the emotional components that were a part of it, all of the stress, you know, all of my adrenal function, all the good stuff that you talk about a lot too. And so, you know, my thirties, I was doing pretty well. My hormones were doing well in terms of just really good periods after not having good periods for a lot of my life and consistent and my digestion was good. And then I was 39 when I found out that I had a fibroid. So at that point I was teaching dance full-time and performing and it was, I actually discovered it myself because I couldn't get my diva cup all the way in one month. 
And I was oh, like, wow. what's going on here? Right. And not many women won't necessarily discover it themselves that way. Right. Because just where it was located for me, it sort of was like pushing against the vaginal wall, but I didn't know what it was at first. Of course, I was like freaking out like anybody would be because immediately you think cancer, you know, and oh, yeah. what, I, what I tell my clients now is fortunately or unfortunately, like if you have pain and you can feel it, it's usually not cancer. Yes. Cancer's sneaky, you know, mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately we don't know usually until much later and there's not necessarily pain. But anyways, long story short, I found out that I had at that point, it was a six centimeter fibroid. And I didn't really know anything about fibroids before that. It wasn't something that was like part of my education. And so I started doing some research and most of the research said, you know, once it's pa- it's bigger than five centimeters, it's going to be hard to kind of like work on it on its own and to shrink it or diminish it, whatever you want to say. And I talked to my doctor who's actually a, she's a DO. And so she's a a little bit more functional in her approach, but she basically was like, your options are getting on an estrogen suppressant, which I didn't want to do because I was like, I don't want to go into early menopause essentially, or have menopausal symptoms, having a hysterectomy, which is probably the most common thing that women will end up doing when they find out they have fibroids or one or more fibroids or a myomectomy, which is where they go in and just remove the fibroid itself or fibroids and leave the uterus intact. And so I decided to do the myomectomy because I was like, it's crazy that so many people and doctors will think oh, you don't want to have kids at this point, or you're done with having kids, what have you, just go ahead and have a hysterectomy because those fibroids will come back if you just do the myomectomy. I know. And first of all, the belief system that our uterus is just there in order to have children drives me crazy, right? Drives me crazy too, (laughs) really. And for those of you who have chosen to do a hysterectomy, know that that's your choice. And I'm sure it was the best choice in your situation. And we're not saying there's anything wrong with that, but absolutely. And sometimes it's that, necessary. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes it, it is absolutely necessary. is necessary. Yeah. But the, it, the jump to yes, it, right. It's the agree. number one surgery done on women yeah. in this country. And it's like no big deal, right? They're yeah. just like, come in, we'll just take it out and you'll go home the same day. And you're like, wow, this is a, it's a much bigger deal than that. But yeah. anyways, long story short, I ended up deciding on doing the myomectomy. It was my first surgery ever. And it's a, the complication rate is actually a little bit higher with myomectomies and hysterectomies because basically hysterectomies, they're going in and cutting and just taking it out versus with the fibroids, they actually are cutting the fibroid out of the uterus and using heat and everything in order to do that. So I had the fibroid surgery and they said everything went perfectly well. And I go home and you're supposed to bounce back within a week or so after a myomectomy. And I was not bouncing back. I was actually getting worse, but it was the first time I had surgery. And this is another thing that I tell women all the time. Don't push through the pain. We're so used to pushing through the pain and just being like, oh, it's just taking me longer to to get back. And, you know, oh, I just whatever needs some more time. No, if it is three to four days past a surgery and you're starting to feel worse or not getting better, go to the ER. So what ended up happening with me was I landed in the ER two weeks afterwards with sepsis. 
Oh, wow. Yes. So what I was in the ER all day, they were trying to figure out what was wrong. Basically, all they determined was that I was dumping bacteria and stool and gastric juices into my abdominal cavity from my intestines. So basically after all day, they, that night they said to me, okay, we're going to have to go in for exploratory surgery because we don't know where it's coming from. We need to basically like seal off this leak. So they ended up slicing me from underneath my bra strap down to my pelvic bone. And basically I was just full of all the, the junk right in my abdominal cavity. So they spent hours just cleaning me out with saline, unwinding my intestines because they were all bunched up. And then eventually they found three burns. Wow. So during the myomectomy, I had actually gotten burned by the tool that they used to cut the, the intestines had been burned. And that's where the, exactly. Yep. Wow. Yep. And most people don't realize like all of that stuff is really close. All right in there, right? (laughs) It, and it can, and I actually, Dr. Tabitha Barbara, I don't know if you know her, but she explained it really well to me when I chatted with her about it. She said, you know, your intestines definitely kind of like, like a, they have to move them around during surgery, but B, they also kind of like fall down too. So even if normally your intestines kind of either transverse, at least is higher, it can fall down during it. And so basically you can, they can accidentally touch a local organ while they're cutting and they don't even know, which I think is what happened with me. So long story short, I ended up losing half my colon, eight inches of small intestine. I had an ostomy bag for about six and a half months. I was on a wound vac for two months Yeah. It was, it nearly cost me my life. Wow. Yeah. So that was the big impetus for things changing in my life. I obviously, I couldn't dance anymore because it took a year for my abdomen to really heal because I had that ostomy for about six and a half months. And then I was able, I was lucky enough to be able to be reversed after that six and a half months, but then it takes time for your abdomen to heal again. And so really that brought me back around to health. Right. And I said, why, you know, despite obviously the focus on my gut health and rebuilding that, I was like, why did I get here in the first place? And it was because I grew this big fiber. Yeah. You know? So I was like, I want to know as much as I possibly can about hormones and how fibroids develop. So that was the beginning of my story of, I did an apprenticeship with a hormone expert, and then I ended up diving more into functional health and just learning about functional lab testing and all those kinds of things, because it's all intertwined. It all is intertwined. And yeah, oh, yeah. I can imagine that would give you a very big passion for wait, Let's figure out how to not have this surgery. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing. That's a pretty intense journey that you went through. It is, yeah. <laughs> but I'm but here. It, yeah, you're here. And you're, and I know it's so interesting. I love on the show. I love hearing people's stories because everyone has really cool story, but you know, it's usually what you go through that ends up being the magic that you bring them to help other people. So they don't have to go through the same thing you went through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's yeah. always my goal with sharing my story. And I think particularly with fibroids, there's studies that say that up to 80% and in some cases up to 90% of women will have a fibroid by the time they're 50, right? And that's incredible to me, right? That this is not a bigger (laughs) issue that we talk about. 
you know, you may not ever know that you have a fibroid because it is small and it's not in a place in your uterus where it bothers you, right? Well, and sometimes the body passes them. You know, women right. have got heavy clots. That's usually your body getting rid of fibrous tissue that had built mm. up. So sometimes women right. come in and they're going, oh my gosh, my periods are so heavy and cloudy. I'm like, well, that's actually a sign to me that your body's it's better out than in. Like, let's yes. get that stuff out. 100%. Maybe for the purposes of this topic, can we, can you share with listeners like what, what a fibroid is, like what mm -hmm. causes it to develop and what, what to kind of look for if you're kind of nervous or think that you might have one? Yeah, absolutely. So fibroids are non-cancerous tumors, essentially, right? They are cancerous, I believe, less than 0.3% of the time. So they will, you know, if you do a myomectomy, they do take care in the removal and because they can't biopsy it before they remove it, they will biopsy it afterwards to make sure it's not cancerous. But like I said, it's very seldomly cancerous. And really fibroids are a bit complicated because it's not it's as simple as just saying they're estrogen fed, which is definitely a huge part of that, but they can actually be progesterone fed too, that they, they have the receptors on there. In some cases, it, it is interesting because there's a big debate, I think, of particularly using progesterone therapy when it comes to fibroids. And it seems, and I say this with a strong caveat, this is not the first place I would go with fibroids anyway, but utilizing bioidentical progesterone is a better option when they're smaller mm -hmm. versus once they get larger. And I will say in my personal experience, I actually did use bioidentical progesterone once I found out that I had the fibroid up until my surgery, which was about three months. And it did help re-regulate my, my cycle. So, mm -hmm. and it brought down the bleeding a lot, but by the time I got it out, it was actually about eight centimeters. So, oh, so it got bigger. Yeah. given doing an ultrasound isn't as exact around yeah. the size thing. So it could have been a little larger than they yeah. you know, determined, but still there was some growth there that happened. So, but, it, but really, I think I didn't understand the importance of estrogen metabolism at the time, which is what I really focus on a lot for women with fibroids, yeah. right? Fibroids, ovarian cysts, fibrocystic yeah. breasts, yeah. you know, we're all looking at how that estrogen is metabolizing. And I, of course, care about the amount of estrogen coming, showing up, but really I care almost more about how, well, what your yeah, body's doing. Because you can have it. a ton of estrogen and if your body's detoxing it well, exactly. no problem. But if your body's exactly. not detoxing well, and one of the things I just want to circle back when we were chatting a bit about like jumping to hysterectomy, you know, mm -hmm. it's good to have your period. Yep. Your period, I like, I tell women all the time, like, you know, if you're having trouble pooping, we wouldn't say, let's remove your colon. And right. be like, well, that's crazy. Where would all the food go? If you're having trouble with your hormones, you don't jump to removing the uterus because that's how your body detoxes hormones. I mean, there's other ways it'll go through the bowels and through the liver and the kidneys, but mm -hmm. your period is one of the ways which that tissue gets mm -hmm. out. So if yes. you're trying to shake a fibroid, you know, that's how your body's going to get that. Out. So I just want to back and make sure that, you know, that that message is heard, that it's really important to get your period. Yeah. And particularly for those of you that are taking birth control and skipping your period. Mm -hmm. Not a fan of that. Like you should mm -hmm. really be getting a bleed, particularly when you are on birth control because you're getting excess estrogen. We exactly. got to get that out. Just yes. As you said, the detoxing is the really big important part of this is you've got to make sure your body's able to get rid of that hormone. 
Absolutely. any of the hormones. I mean, we build hormones right. up for certain parts of our cycle. And then the liver's job and the bowels and the kidneys and the period's job is to break them down, get the progesterone down. You know, all the hormones drop when we have our period because the period yep. is like, okay, we're getting out. We're getting out. I mean, I love that visual too. And that's why I try and tell people all the time. I mean, a lot of, and I didn't know this either at one point, so I totally understand, but you know, your liver does have to detoxify all of our hormones, right? And anything that we take into our body, we want to y- break it down, you know, you get what we need from it and then move the rest out essentially. Yes. And including that hormone production. And then of course, when we have sort of any exogenous hormones coming in or any chemicals that act like hormones, particularly like estrogens, you know, we want that just moving out of the body. And and I really love that you focused on the period aspect of that too, because I don't think we think about that a lot, right? I don't even think, I'm like, yeah, move it out your bowels, move it out, you know, your sweat. Yeah, but your your period is one way. I mean, you think about, you know, I treat a lot of women and who come into me during menopause and their body and mm-hmm. the body shifts a lot. We tend to see weight gain, we see bloating mm-hmm. because the body's losing out on one of its ways of detoxes. Mm-hmm. And so your period is a really beautiful time. And most people will say, oh my gosh, when I get my period, I get like period poops. And it's like, I know in my cycle, it's like everything comes out. Yeah, right? that's like, well, the like the body's like, we're detoxing everything this week. And then you feel good, right? Usually yes. Most women, when your hormones are balanced, like that first week of your cycle, you're like, ah, everything's out. I've used it. I, I feel good. My energy's good. So absolutely. Yeah. You don't feel and, like that, that's okay. But, but that's, you know, right. most, like, once I bleed and once it all gets out, I feel so much better than I did. So much better. Right. And even usually those first two days, right, which can be kind of kind of the heaviest for a lot of women with their period, they're just like, yeah, I feel so. And it, I always try and remind them, like, it's okay if you're feeling low energy, if you're feeling like, yeah, I got to go to the bathroom, all of those things during that time. It is like you said, it's kind of, a, it's this beautiful process that our body goes through monthly, you know, if we're able to kind of obviously get it to the point where we're not overly symptomatic, right? I, I understand not telling a woman that has two weeks of issues yes. a month that like, oh, look at this is a beautiful thing. But, you know, we want to get you to a place where the sim- symptoms are coming down. You don't have them as long, but yeah, to have those couple of days, I, there's a colleague of mine that I love that she's, she's just, you know, at this point, she said, I just put it on the calendar for my family to know that this is going to be the first day of my period and to not bother me. I love, I love that. I've had other conversations on podcasts about that, where, you know, like that you show the weeks, like the first, like week one, this is don't touch me. And then it's like week two, oh, I'm really friendly this week. And week three, I mean, so much like the different seasons of the year or. Yep. This is why it's so important to track your period. I, that's the number yep. one thing I have women when they first come in. I'm like, make sure you're tracking. Just so you know, hey, absolutely. You no, know, I feel great the first 10 days of my cycle. Maybe I have some a little bit of something during ovulation and maybe I feel good. Or maybe you have day 21, you know, when your progesterone's peaking. I just say that because that's for me, that's my worst day of the month. I'm just tired mm. and cranky and irritable. Mm-hmm. I don't like things on that day. And mm-hmm. if you're trapped, you're going to be able to be like, oh, I just got my period. I know three weeks from now, I'm not going to be feeling so great. I'm not going to put yep. stuff on my calendar. I'm going to say no. I'm going to take a bath. So the more information you have about your own body, kind of the better. I'm going to circle uh, us back and yeah. get us a little back on the thyroid track. Sure. What are some things to look for symptomatically if someone is thinking, like if you've got a family history of fibroids or you're kind of concerned about it, what should people be looking for that they might want to go get an imaging scan done or talk to their doctor about it? 
So usually the first big indication of fibroids is heavier bleeding during your period. And that was definitely the case for me. I was suddenly having heavier periods pretty suddenly. And then it also, for me, threw off my period. Like I said earlier, I was really regular there for a long time. And then suddenly my period was five days earlier. And then the next month it was five days earlier than that. And at the time I just thought, oh, maybe I'm going through perimenopause early. But then I learned that the fibroid was causing the issue. So I'd say that's the most common symptom early on. I've had clients where even small fibroids, because again, depending on their location, they're going to impact you differently, right? So some women may have a fibroid and never know that they have it because of where it's located in the uterus. It's not impacting the uterine lining. It's not pressing against the local organ, but if it is one of these that there's fibroids that can grow kind of inside your uterus and outside of your uterus, that can cause issues with even using the, using the bathroom with bowel movements, if it's coming out and pressing against your bladder, that can make you have to pee more often. So those are kind of the big signs to look for. And then painful sex, like if suddenly sex is painful and it wasn't before, that's also a good indication of a growth happening. And then just in general, periods getting longer too can also be a sign of that happening. And usually women are having maybe a lot of stress, maybe extra stress going on. They may be noticing PMS creeping a little bit longer than it had been. Those are all possible symptoms. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great outlet. I, I always think that like the way I think about it in terms of the body, I'm like, okay, you're heavily bleeding because the body is actually trying to get rid of it. Mm. It's like, for whatever reason, this growth happened, the body's like, oh, or it's trying to tell you like, hey, go check this out. There's Hello. something going yep. on. There's something up. Yep. So it's it's listening to your body. And this is again why it's so important to track your period. Yes. Because if you're yes. not tracking it, I so often hear women say like, oh yeah, I get it around the end of the month every time. But our months are not all 28 days. So right. you know, getting it in the end of the month might not actually always be, lunar cycles tend to be a little bit more better to track the cycle with, but it's really mm -hmm. good to put it down on a calendar. There's so many apps that you can get. Exactly. At this point. And then yeah. you can notice like, oh, wow, you know, my period used to be every 27 days and now it's every 24 days. And that's yep. something you should tell your doctor about. Like that's, I want to know all the information about your period. Okay. What, yes. what day did it start? How long did you bleed for? What's, you know, and that's really, it's good information for your practitioner. And it's also just good for you to know. So you can know 100%. if there is a change, right? Because that's yeah. how we catch these things. And the earlier that's... that you catch a fibroid, even though it's not cancerous, you could prevent a surgery, right? So if you catch Absolutely. it when it's small, you can then start to work with a functional nutritionist, a naturopathic doctor on ways to get it out of there without yeah. having to go through something that you went through. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, I can't stress enough how life-changing it can be when women start tracking their cycle. Yes. You know, I've had so many clients say to me, literally years of just kind of noticing something happening at different points and never even connecting that to their cycle. And now after tracking it for two months, they're like, oh, this is why this happened. You know, yeah. like, oh, this is near ovulation. It's yeah. like, it changes what comes out. You yeah. Know, my vagina. And so, well, and there's, uh, there's also symptoms you can track that may not be necessarily related to your sex hormones. I mean, you might have right. mood changes. You might right. have joint pain changes. You might have energy changes. I mean, yep. it's, it's really important because the hormones are going to affect all of that stuff. So it's yep. really, you know, if you're like, wow, I just 
I feel really cranky and irritable. And you might notice like, oh, it's, it's always happening on day 14 of your cycle. Again, yeah. that's something to tell your provider. You know, around ovulation, I'm, my mood really changes because that's something we could be like, oh, let's test your hormones on day 14. Yes. We can figure out what's going on and then we can adjust it. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's so, so helpful. And one of the things that I'm glad that I'm seeing more of now, and I hope it continues, is just education around these things for women because we weren't taught about our cycle. We weren't taught to track it. We weren't taught what it could mean when things are off and just simply understanding, yeah, like my estrogen is supposed to be higher now and I'm not supposed to have any progesterone. And over here, I'm supposed to have more progesterone and my estrogen is supposed to be lower. Just those basic understandings can change so much of how I think our bodies really appreciate being heard, you know? Oh, they do. And with fibroids, there's, like I said earlier, it's not a simple thing. I really do see it as a multifaceted thing that you have to work with. Certainly understanding estrogen metabolism and how to support your estrogen metabolism if it's not going well, which we can certainly talk more about, but also the stress of life. And you talk about this so much. Like I hugely believe that I grew that fibroid because I was overworked. I was overgiving in my work and not getting enough back from it, you know, running my own dance business and being an artist and all these things. It was just like that hustle mode. Plus it was that time where like hustle was the thing, right? Like get your, get your side hustle on. And, you know, you felt like, oh, I have to do these things. And my body was literally screaming at me, like, this is not working, you know? And, and now that I've been through that experience, obviously I'm even more deeply connected to my body because of having to like heal it after all of that. But like my uterus lets me know if anything's off. And so I, I love the relationship that I've built and also really understanding that emotional connection, particularly yeah. with fibroids. Yeah. Every woman that I work with that has a fibroid, and really I'd say this with growths in general, like the ovarian cysts and fibrocystic breasts, but particularly fibroids, they are overgivers. Mm. You know, they are not great with the boundaries always, you know, they, there's a lot of, if you look underneath it, it, a giving because they want to receive and they don't know how to like ask for things or they feel because we've been taught societally that women are supposed to take care of everyone else. I think that's deep in there and certainly trauma that underlies some of that too. So it really has to be multifaceted when you do find out you have a fibroid. And as you mentioned, the earlier that we know that we have the fibroids and can start to shift these things, you really can see them go away. You can see them shrink. You can see them diminish. You can get rid of the symptoms. It's once they get to the certain size that it gets harder and harder to do that. Yeah. So my, my thing is like, I don't understand why they don't do vaginal ultrasounds every year. When you go to the OBGYN, we could, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we could get ahead so yeah, many things. Yeah, I know. You could really get an ultrasound, but you know, they're not, it's not, there's not yeah. that much. Like we use ultrasound as a, as a healing technique and a lot of other, you know, right. when you go to certain chiropractors and physical therapy, they use ultrasound. So it's not really that harmful no. as a, as a no, diagnostic it, tool. No, absolutely. And it's pretty, you know, for the most part, it doesn't really hurt. Like some no. of the other things that when yes. you go to the OBGYN and it, it can be done in five minutes, you know, yeah. it's just to me, that would be so helpful in so many instances for women to understand. To early early. On. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cause you know, most of the women won't know until 
the symptoms have gotten pretty bad and the size is larger than we would like it to be, or there's multiple ones, yeah. you know, which makes yeah. it more complicated for having either a myomectomy or reducing yep. them, as you said. So let's talk about estrogen metabolism. And mm -hmm. before we jump into that, I just, you had mentioned stress and I'm just going to chat a little bit. When your system is stressed, none of your cellular processes work properly. Like it's like you're DNA gets wound super, super tight and the body can't read it as well, mm -hmm. which means you can't detox as well. So when we're looking mm -hmm. at hormonal stuff, this is usually the case, like PMS gets worse when we're stressed because the body literally, when it's stressed, it doesn't detox as well as it should or could. Mm -hmm. Any cellular mm -hmm. process in the body doesn't work as well when the system mm -hmm. is stressed. So, you know, there's a direct connection. And I think in fibers, the connection is, you know, stress is not always the only piece, but the pieces that come in, it's your system gets stressed, we don't detox estrogen as well because of the stress. Mm -hmm. And you may already be a poor estrogen detoxer. Maybe you could chat right. a little bit about some of the, what you work with, with estrogen detox stuff. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I just did my genetic testing recently because I anticipated that my genes weren't so great when it comes to estrogen detox. And that is not the case. <laughs> I was really surprised. I do have some methylation issues, which certainly can play into that. But yeah, my hormones showed up as low, like a low issue. And I was like, oh. well, okay. But it kind of speaks to how important it is to hone in on these different areas, right? That it's not just one thing. But I started doing Dutch tests on myself after my myomectomy and I definitely struggled until very recently with having the estrogen favor what we want it to, which is that 2OH protective pathway. I would actually ricochet between the 16OH, which is usually more linked with fibroids. We kind of call it the, the growth pathway, right, of estrogen, but also the 4OH pathway, which is the more, you know, what they people say is DNA damaging pathway. I've had times, some of my Dutches, where I was actually performing that 4-OH pathway, but it was always 4-OH or 16-OH yeah. versus that lower 2-OH. So I'm going to just pause for a second for people mm -hmm. that might not understand what this is. So there are different types of estrogen that some of them can be a little bit more protective. And as she mentioned, there's this 16-OH and the 4-OH tend to be a little bit, they can cause DNA damage and they tend to be more cancer causing. And yeah. certain metabolisms don't break those specific types of estrogen down as well as they should. Or when you're super stressed, you might not be favoring that one pathway. So mm -hmm. there's a wonderful test called the Dutch test, which will actually look at how is your body breaking down estrogen? It's an amazing tool. It's really cool. So if you haven't ever had that done, ask your provider about it because it's a, it's a great tool to see what yes. your body is actually doing. It'll also give yes. you some insight on how your body methylates, how your body mm -hmm. deals with something called COMT, which is breaking down dopamine and other things, that, which goes into how your liver breaks down certain estrogens. So there's kind of two yep. different things that it's looking at, but it's, it's a beautiful way of seeing, okay, what are my hormones doing and how is my body breaking them down? Right. Absolutely. You know, because this is actually why I do run that test on all of my fibroid clients, because we, we do want to see what's happening there. If you just know your estrogen levels, because maybe one time or two times I actually had high estradiol, but the other times my estradiol was always fine if you just looked at the estradiol, right? My progesterone was actually never that bad, which was surprising too. So it all kind of came down to, okay, so what, how is my body metabolizing that estrogen? And that you're not going to get that, you know, there's, I think there's 
just a regular urine test that also can tell you your metabolites, but I'm not sure that there's any saliva tests that does that. No, I think Dutch yeah, is the only because one because it has to that. go through your kidneys in order, yeah, I think, to yeah. see the. So that is just going to give you a really good snapshot of what is happening right now, you know? And again, like I thought genetically it would show up that way, but no, for whatever reason, this is what I'm dealing with, yeah. you know, with all of the stress and everything and in the way that I sort of dealt with stress. And so that really helped me to a, it's going to help you with what nutrients can be useful to start, you know, pushing down that to a much more protective pathway that we want the estrogen going down. It can help us with nutrients of upregulating that phase two liver detox, which I certainly needed to do. And so when I talk to people about fibroids for me, really understanding that my liver was not working as well as it could have been. And unsurprising because on top of all of the stress, there was certainly plenty of times where I would rely maybe more on alcohol or other things to calm me down with all the stress, which I think women can particularly I see it with the women I work with late thirties, early forties, our bodies are not dealing with alcohol as well as it used to. Right. And so even if you're not drinking a lot, even just one glass of wine can be a lot harder to detoxify. And the thing is your liver is going to focus on that first and that estrogen is going to get pushed to the back of the line. That's what I always say. I think this is a good topic. I, I have this conversation a lot lately post pandemic, you know, about alcohol, well, mm-hmm. I don't drink that much. I only drink a couple glasses of, you know, wine or a couple of drinks on the weekend. But again, mm-hmm. alcohol with poison. And again, your body is going to, that is going to go to the front of the line. And if you're yep. doing that two or three days a week, your yep. liver is going to be highly focused on detoxing that. If you're also, if you're drinking caffeine every day, which we know yes. caffeine is another thing exactly. that plays into the development of fibroids. If you're drinking caffeine every day, again, your liver is going to be focused on breaking down the caffeine first, which means estrogen yep. goes to the, the back burner. And if we're mm-hmm. constantly leaving estrogen in the back burner, we're going to get a backlog. It's like, it's like if you're, you've got your family's laundry and like you're only washing one person's laundry, and then like you're going to get a buildup of someone else's laundry. And at some point you're yep. going to be like, oh my God, there's so much laundry. What am I going to do? I can't, I can't do this. Can't do it. Yeah. yeah. I used to do yeah. laundry. Like I would do mine and the kids separate. And then I would like only do mine or only do the kids and you get a backlog. So it's kind of like that. Like think about it like laundry. And if you're yeah. constantly putting off some person's laundry or something, you're going to get a buildup, which is exactly yes. what will happen. And then that will you know, the body has to put that estrogen somewhere. Do you want to think exactly. about it like that? Yep. And it's, it's feeding right into that fibroid. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. So yeah, the more things that you put into the body that the liver has to detox, the less your body, and this this kind of plays into some other things. Like I have so many patients that come in and that, you know, maybe fibroids are an issue or something else, but if you're wanting to lose weight, you know, mm-hmm. if the body's focused on detoxing your alcohol and your caffeine and perfumes and scents and soaps and all mm-hmm. the other things that are coming in, your body's not going to have time to get rid of the fat cells. Like it's just, nope. that's, it goes nope. again to the back burner. So stuff is going to be stored in those fat cells. Yes. And that's going to get stored in those fat cells exactly. too, which is, yep. you know, yes. And, and there's actually plenty of research to show even just drinking a glass of wine or a cocktail immediately increases estrogen levels. Yeah. So we, we do know that. And, and it's, there's so many ways that I think that we can just get caught up in how we've done things for a long period of time. And it's just not working for our bodies anymore. And so we have to really think about, okay, 
what does my body need for me at this point? You know, what everything's going to be affected your adrenals, as we've talked about, but also your thyroid is going to be affected. There's plenty of studies to show a direct correlation to between fibroids and lowered thyroid function, right? We also have plenty of studies to show low vitamin D and fibroids are linked too. So there's actually a decent amount of studies out there. There's no good, like, okay, this is what you do to take care of fibroids besides estrogen suppression or surgery, but we do have quite a few research studies showing the connection between these deficiencies mm-hmm. and, and fibroids, right? Yeah. So I think of fibroids beyond letting you know, okay, time to start setting some boundaries, you know, time to start really getting clear on yourself. It's also a time to really nourish your body because we do more than likely have these deficiencies going on, you know, particularly the thyroid as I know, you know, that, that, you know, as we age, there's already the thyroid function gets diminished, but all that stress is impacting the thyroid too. So and all the estrogen all the- and all the estrogen it all plays it, all in together. It really does. Yeah. yeah. So there's clearly so much to talk about. We could probably keep talking about it for like two more hours, but right. in the interest of everyone's time, we're going to wrap it up. So Christine, you work with people virtually, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe tell listeners a little bit about where they can find you if they're interested in working with you. I know you've got a podcast, so speak about that a little bit. Yes. So my website is a great place to find out everything that's going on. That's christinegarvin.com. And so I work with people one-on-one. I also have group programs. So I'll be doing my hormone breakthrough blueprint program again in January of 2023. So the doors will open sometime, probably early December. But if you want to get on the wait list to be notified first, you can do that through my website and then come on over and listen to us at Hormonally Speaking, which you, of course, were on recently and was a super popular episode, not surprisingly at all. So I have awesome, awesome guests on that. And I love doing that and, and love having people listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing chat. I know we talked about a ton. We'll probably have to get you back on soon so we dive deeper into so many other topics. But thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Christine. And we'll see everyone next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Dr. Kinney Show. Be sure to follow the show and leave a rating and a review. It supports me so much. Plus, I always love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week.